Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. So far, we've been looking at some of the myths, or maybe not some of the myths, around church. Some of the things that people maybe outside of the church say about inside the church, and are they true? And if they're true, what do we do? There are a whole bunch of things that people say uh, that uh, we know might be a little bit silly, whether it's the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or whatever, and if you believe in any of those, no offense if I called them silly. Um, But actually, when it comes to the bigger things of life, whether it's family, politics, church, there are other things that are said that actually we really need to ask questions about. We need to really wrestle with some of the things um, that people say about them. Are they true, or is it a myth, or was it ever supposed to be like that? Before I actually get into today's series, uh, or today's episode of this series, I want to do something which we probably wouldn't normally start a talk with. In fact, I actually want to go back and talk a little bit about what we opened with in terms of the video of the Revolution Week Away, and just want to reiterate that you have full permission to go wild, to stand up, to cheer, to applause, Um, because here at The Forge, we want to become a church community that creates uh, creates, uh, church communities that unchurched people love to be a part of, Um, but really our ultimate goal is to help people find and follow Jesus. Uh, And so for us, the biggest win in the world um, happened on Wednesday night. We had a whole group of 70 young people. um, And just want to read you the text from uh, the staff team's WhatsApp group that Tim Warnock sent to us, who was leading the week. Um, He just said this, and I want you to go nuts um, uh, if you know what I'm talking about here. We've just had an amazing night of worship led by Ben and the team. And we saw 10 young people give their lives to God. Praise God. I feel like that deserves a little bit more, right? The trajectory of 10 people's eternity has changed. Uh, And so for us, that's just the biggest win. And and maybe you're new to us. Maybe that isn't quite a big deal for you. And that's fine. We're really glad that you've come to us today. And we hope that uh, you find a home here. We we hope that you you really enjoy uh, this hour with us. But for us, that's just the best news. And I just feel like we need to start today by recognizing what God has done as part of this week within our church uh, and really what he wants to be doing as we go forward. And just want to share just some stories from some of the young people who replied to a post on the uh, Forge Youth UK Instagram page, and, and some of these are just the stories. Uh, Revolution was amazing. It was really fun to spend time surrounded by lovely people uh, and by some Christian friends. It really helped me bring, cl- uh, bring me closer to God. The week went way too fast. I can't wait for the year ahead. Somebody else says, thank you so much for this week. I've learned so much about myself and about who God is. It's literally been the highlight of my year. Thank you so much, someone else says, for such an amazing opportunity last week. It was such a great escape from stuff that has allowed me to build a stronger relationship with God. I personally have had an amazing time, and the talks made me realize what God is really like. And I've had so much fun, particularly at the lip sync battle. Someone else says, revolution has been one of the highlights of my year. This week has made me realize that even when I don't see God, he is always working in your life. Even when things are hard, you just have to believe that God is with you and that he loves you and that he cares for you. Thank you for making the week happen. 
it doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't. And so that happened on the Wednesday night. I was due to be coming up on the Thursday. And so I read the text and I was like overjoyed, but at the same time, like just jealous. I was like, man, I'm just coming up on the wrong day. Like it's happened. But I got there and the party was just fully in flow. Um, And as I was there, I couldn't help thinking of the series that we've been doing, asking some questions around the church, around is the church just against a whole bunch of stuff? Is it full of hypocrites and people who don't have it together? Is it boring? Is the church good for some people and just not for other people? And as I got there, I just saw a whole bunch of young people and leaders and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, just everybody there just loving one another and sharing in each other's brokenness and just having ridiculous amounts of fun. And I was like, if you ever wanted to see a set of Mythbusters, these guys are it. And I say this without an inch of tokenism and without an inch of exaggeration, genuinely us here in this room, we have so much that we should learn from those guys. Just the freedom of being able to walk into a room and, and there was no one sort of looking around being like, well, who else is putting their hands up? And, and, and do I, it, just, it was people who, who had heard something and believed it and they were like, I'm in. And I don't really know what that fully means yet. And I know that I'm not really ready for that or fully or, or, or things like that. But it was just like, I just know enough and I'm in. And it was just a freedom of expressing that. And I think for some of us, we need to see that again, which is why we've sort of said this three times and we're just going to keep on sharing it because it's the biggest thing that we could ever hope for. And as I said, if you're new and you're thinking, are you really that excited by that? Well, yes, we are. And we kind of hope that you stick around long enough to see why we're so excited about that. And so as we start this episode with that in mind, I want to ask the question, is church good for you, but not really for me? Is the church good for you and not for me? And I know there's a couple of different ways on how we can read that. And it's not, is the church good for you and against me as such, whether we kind of touched on that on the first episode. What we're really looking at here is, is the church, I mean, like, if I say that I, I want to invite you around my house to come and watch a horror film, and you're really into romantic comedies, you might kind of say, hey, like, I mean, that's good for you, that film's good for you, it's just, I mean, it's just not really me. It's, it's not an againstness, it's just an indifference kind of thing. And for people, when it comes to church, maybe you've heard this, maybe you believe it, maybe you know someone who believes it, that the church, when it comes to it, it's just like, I mean, it's just... It's just not really, I mean, good for you, like great, if you want to do that, it's not, it's not a big against like church thing, it's just, I'm, it's just not for me. If you looked on our Forge social media over the last week, you may have seen a video um, that Finn shot at his hairdressers with a few of his friends uh, who aren't churchgoers, they haven't been to church, and he just asked them some questions around their perception of what church is. And I loved some of their answers, and it gave a real insight to actually maybe what people think of us, if you call the Forge your home. Uh, And they said some of these quotes, I can't think of anything worse than going to church on a Sunday and singing. It wasn't, I can't think of anything worse coming to church and believing, or I can't think of anything worse coming to church uh, and uh, being judged or anything. It was just like the singing. I just don't like singing very much. I believe that church is for people who think they're going to get something out of it, but if not, it's just probably a waste of your time. The church is for everyone, it's just a lot of people just choose not to go. I think, generally speaking, when people view the church, a lot of the time is not a big againstness of the church, maybe as much as we might think. I'm sure there is some of that. I think a lot of the time it's just a general indifference. I mean, the church is good for you, but it's just, it's just not really for me. It's just not really for me. I remember when I really started taking faith seriously for myself as a teenager, um, 
And it just felt that when I really committed to that and looked at that, life just started to look different for me. And, and in ways that were tangible and ways that were just intangible. And it was just like I had to share to everybody what had gone on. It was like every time I prayed, God would do something. I can remember one time sitting in the hairdressers, uh, and it's crazy to talk about Jesus when people have scissors that close to your neck. Um, <laughs> But as I was uh, hearing this woman, we were chatting because, you know, she'd cut my hair off several times before. And I was like, how are you doing? She was like, actually, life sucks right now. Uh, one of my best friends is suffering with cancer. And I've just suffered with shingles. And on the way out, after she put the scissors down, I kind of said, listen, like, can I just pray for you? And she was too scared to say no. And so <laughs> let me. And I just prayed. And I was like, I left. And I was like, everyone just needs to know this. Everyone needs to understand what I think and, and, and what I now know. Um, and so I came back the next month. And I walked in. And there was another woman there. And... and the other hairdresser wasn't, but she pointed to me. She goes, you're the weird Christian guy. And I went, yeah, amongst other things. Uh, and she said, that hairdresser, her friend hasn't got cancer anymore. And she hasn't got shingles in it. And I was just like, whoa. And I've prayed that prayer like several times since and nothing's happened. And so I don't think that I'm some like weird whatever. But, but I was just like, everyone needs to know about this. Everyone needs to know what I know. Everyone needs to know this Jesus that came and changed me. And so I started to tell people and said, hey, the best way I know how to do this is to bring you to the place where I found out, which is church. And, and you might think that's weird and it's, they are weird. Uh, and you might think it's boring. And yep, sometimes it, it might be boring. Uh, and you might think it's full of broken people. And, and yeah, it's full of broken people. But their reaction, more often than not, wasn't those things. It was just like, oh, yeah, good for you. It's just, I mean, like I've never really been into the whole church deal. Like I didn't grow up in church. I mean, maybe if you're like, if you've got families, it's probably a good thing to, to go for kids. Like maybe if you want to feel a little bit better about yourself, you can go. Or if you feel guilty or if you're scared about dying, like maybe church is for those people. But for me, it's just like, I just don't need it. I can remember growing up in youth, uh, a youth group uh, in a church when I was a, a lot younger, uh, and we were talking around uh, this kind of topic a little bit. And they asked the question, why is it that people wouldn't come to Jesus? Why is it that people wouldn't come to the Christian faith? And there was one girl who gave this brilliant answer that I'll always remember and kind of got what she was saying. She was like, well, I mean, it doesn't really offer much other than eternal life. <laughs> And I was like, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? But we can all kind of see where she's getting at. It's like, okay, well, it promises that. But if you're unsure on that, then, then what else really does it offer? I mean, is the church just for people like us? Or is it actually something that should be going a lot further? When putting this series together, the Mythbusters series, I, I sort of, you know, trying to have a bit of a, an idea in my mind as I'm sort of looking at the ones that I'm going to be speaking on the rest of it in terms of where am I going to go with this? Like, what are the, the, the places where I'm going to try and pick up on and where's going to be the cool message and, and, and what's going to sound great? And in my head, I was like, oh, probably like that, you know, in the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of letters written to a whole bunch of new churches. And it would kind of make sense that we look at some of those because that tells you how church should be and the rest of it. What I didn't expect um, but actually, I totally should have expected is that in each one of these myths, the thing that I keep on coming back to isn't actually the letters to the church. It's actually Jesus. It was actually his life that for me has challenged me the most when looking at some, uh, when looking at some of these questions. And the fascinating thing around that is it's just like, oh my word, like the thing that Jesus wanted to set out have we really drifted that far on? And this idea of, is the church for some people and not for others? Is it just something that some people can look at and be like, hey, not for me? That really made Jesus quite sick. In fact, there's a story that I want to go through that, that really doesn't show a Jesus that we like to think of very much at all. 
In fact, the Jesus that we're going to look at is actually quite a scary Jesus. It's a Jesus that we probably don't talk much about in church. It's a story that if you are in charge of creating a narrative around Jesus' life and putting all of his accounts together, you'd almost be tempted to leave out. I mean, this idea of gentle, nice Jesus, peaceful Jesus, and he is gentle and he is peaceful, it just doesn't show any of those things. If this was the only story we had of Jesus, we probably wouldn't like him at all. It's like weird. And so as we look through the story, I want us to really ask ourselves, okay, well, who is Jesus? Um, there's a great quote, just as a little offshoot, uh, from, I heard it from a woman called Heather Zempel, who said, uh, in the beginning, God created man in his image, and ever since we've been returning the favor. Uh, and I think with Jesus, we can often do that. We can create a Jesus that we kind of like without actually finding out who he's like. And so we want to read this story that, that really doesn't match up with who we think Jesus should be. And this account is found in multiple different um, uh, accounts that were written by different people, but one of them was in an account written by one of his closest followers, a guy called John. And the fascinating thing about this is John puts it right at the very start. And it's not like a, hey, so the bad news first, and then we're going to get to the good bit. It was like really sort of front and center being like, hey, before we go on here, you need to understand this is what Jesus is about. So in chapter one, he sort of opens up his story a little bit and he, he tells everyone a little bit about why he's writing and who Jesus is and there's this guy and he did some things and, and you need to find out about that because it could really change your life. And then at the beginning of chapter two, he shares a story that we all like where Jesus turns water into wine. We like that one, what well on Jesus. We like wine, we like water turning into wine, we like weddings, Jesus did miracles, brilliant, come on. Hey, what's next? What did Jesus do next? What did Jesus do next? And then we hit something that we really don't particularly like talking about. And we don't know whether it happened at the very beginning of Jesus's life or whether John stuck it in right at the beginning to make a point. But either way, it's fascinating that we have it so early on. It's almost like Jesus wants to say something. This is what we read. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and other, uh, others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money, charges, and overturned their tables. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found the people selling, sorry, this is repeated, uh, sheep and doves, and the others sitting at the tables exchanging money. Next slide. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changes and overturned the tables. I mean, this just isn't nice, Jesus. This is like nasty, weird Jesus. Like we wouldn't want this chapter in our story. I mean, imagine for a moment sitting here and I was speaking from stage and all of a sudden I saw something I didn't like. So I jumped down from stage and I started pulling people off seats, racking over chairs, telling people to get out of the place. I mean, you just think, what on earth? This just isn't a Christian church. This just isn't nice. This just isn't how Jesus is supposed to be. Like what on earth is going on? To make it even weirder, to make it even weirder. I mean, it's not like it's even for that much. I mean, we've had an offering passed around today where people have put money in a basket. Like, if this was that bad, should we even be doing that? I mean, people were just selling some animals. It was like a marketplace. Marketplaces were fairly common. People were exchanging money. This was a place of trade where there would have been multiple currencies flowing. So it kind of makes sense. There would have been people exchanging money. Like, Jesus, really? Like without any sort of form of negotiation, without any form of wanting to make some peace and giving people a lesson first, Jesus makes a whip, 
walks into a temple and starts thrashing it around, telling people to get out, throwing money everywhere. What is going on? What is going on that causes Jesus just to be so aggressive and angry in a way that we just aren't particularly used to when it comes to Jesus? What's going on? You see, every year there would have been three different times, three different times where all of the Jewish people would have gathered together in Jerusalem at the temple. There'd have been three really important festivals. One was the Festival of Tabernacles that we kind of looked at a tiny bit uh, a couple of weeks ago during this series. One was the Festival of Weeks. Uh, and the, uh, the last one, or the, perhaps the most important one, or certainly the one that we, we know about most, is the Festival of Passover. This happened just at the point of Passover. Jesus comes in. And there would have been a whole bunch of traditions and a whole bunch of things that all of the people would have done as they approached the temple. And during this time, there would have been two things that we know about because it's written elsewhere in the Bible that these people would have had to have done. One of which is they would have had to pay the temple tax. And that was like a normal thing to do. It was a really specific currency that they would have had to pay a couple of coins uh, in order. Uh, yeah, and that's just what they did. That was part of their um, the religious ways. And another thing is that they would have sacrificed particular animals. So you'd have noticed some doves and some sheep and some cattle in the market there. And so it kind of makes sense, and this would have been a normal way of doing things, that if, particularly if you were traveling far and you had a different currency or worked with a different currency, it was helpful that there were people there that you could transfer currency with, and there would have been animals that you could buy there instead of having to bring your own all the way from your land in order that you could partake in some of the festiveness of the festival. And so when Jesus comes and he starts thrashing around a whip, like, what is Jesus doing? Why is he so upset? Why is he so angry? If what's happening isn't even that bad? Well, maybe it's less about what is happening and maybe slightly more to do where, it's ha where it is happening. You see, when you look at the temple, it's laid out in a really specific manner. The temple was uh, destroyed and rebuilt several times throughout biblical history, and you can go and check that out, and there are a whole bunch of stories of epic tales where people had to build it with one hand and fight off enemies with another. And when you go there today, from an archaeological point of view, you can actually see where each bit of temple was knocked down and built on and everything else, but it kind of looked a little bit like this. It was the temple in the middle, and around the temple there would have been courts for different groups of people. There would have been the priest's court, and there would have been the court of Israel. There would have been a court specifically for women. And there would have also been a court for the Gentiles. The place in which the market happened, happened in a place where everybody could enter. Women, Gentiles, Jews. It was the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were the outsiders. They were the people who didn't grow up with this faith. They weren't um, born into a Jewish family. Maybe they were refugees, Maybe they were the broken, the lost. It was here where they started to do the whole marketplace deal. And I mean, imagine walking in as a Gentile, exploring something, thinking, I don't know what to think about life, and I've heard about this faith, and I've seen this God move, and I've heard the stories that time has gone by where God has showed up for this people. And I'm broken, and I'm lost, and I need some direction. And walking into a place that was supposed to be for you, at a place that was the most, the most important time of the year. And what had the people, the insiders done? They'd filled it up with their own stuff. They'd filled it up with their own stuff. And as Jesus walks in, 
He sees a temple. Now the temple would represent a place in between earth and heaven, a place in which people could come and meet him, a place in which people could come and worship him, a place in which people could come and recognize things like forgiveness and grace and relationship. And this place in which these people had come, Jesus came into and saw people crowding them out, pushing them away, intentionally so. Why? Because this place wasn't for them. This place is for us. This place represents something of how we're supposed to be, of how we act with our traditions, with our things. And Jesus, without a hint of hesitation, as far as we know, without any form of negotiation, as far as we know, got a whip and started pulling people out saying, this is not how it is supposed to be. I wonder what the thoughts of the Gentiles were who went in searching and curious, whether it was perhaps that different to how other people might approach church today. Thinking, is this really a space for me? I mean, I hear that these people are are wanting me to come in and, and I always kind of feel like church is for everyone, but but really, is it a place for me? Are people prepared to share in my brokenness? Are people prepared to walk with me on my journey? I mean, am I allowed to dress what I want and say what I want and think what I want? Is this a place for me or is this a place built for people just like them? You see, what Jesus says at the end of this passage is fascinating. What he does is he, he stands up and, he, and, and people come to him and they say, by what authority? Why are you doing these things? It's kind of a valid question when you've been chasing people out with a whip. And Jesus says, hey, this is the authority I have. If you tear this whole temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And that sounds kind of cryptic, but what Jesus was alluding to was there was gonna be a time where people were gonna nail him and tear him down. And after three days, he was gonna rise again. What he was saying was, I am the one that's gonna bridge the gap. I am going to be the one. I'm gonna be this living temple, this living person of whom is going to bring heaven to earth, of whom you can meet, of whom you can worship, of whom I can forgive, of whom we can be in relationship with one another. And then later on in the letters, what is said to the church and instructed to the church, what it says is, hey, you guys, when you are filled with the spirit of Jesus, it's like you become walking temples. It's like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of Jesus. You are supposed to be people who bridge the gap between heaven and earth. You are supposed to be people who represent a forgiveness. You are supposed to be a people who represent what it looks like to come and worship God. And so when it comes to this, Jesus was furious because what they'd done is crowd it out. And I wonder, does our community look like that? Is that really what we look like? Or do we focus so much on our own comfort, what we want it to be like for us, at the expense of those who are searching? Whether it's actually not knowing a single person outside these walls or outside what we would also think. Maybe it's actually a language thing that we have, whereby we have this religious language that no one else knows, and it's like, hey, well, you can either like it or lump it. What is it that we can do in our lives? Let me put it like this. When it comes to your neighbors, when it comes to the people that you know who don't have faith, do they want what you have? Do they want the faith that you offer? What is it about your faith that they look at and think, there's something about you that's different, or do they look at you and think, Actually, it's just kind of more of the same as what I've got, except you have a social club on a Sunday. 
When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, do people look at you and see a hospitality and a humility and a generosity that just seems to abound in ways that other people don't have? When people look at your faith in Jesus, do people see a freedom of insecurity, of worry, of shame? When people look at you in your darkest moments, do they see someone who just pours out their heart and prays prayers bigger than themselves with faith of an answer? Or do they just see people which actually life looks more of the same, except they also have something that just isn't really for them? Because that's what made Jesus furious. What often, what often we could and can do is create a community, not that unchurched people love being a part of, but actually we can create a community that mirrors other people that are just like us. That's why we are so excited when we see people come to faith because it's like, yes, we see people who were once one way and they saw something different. They found a Jesus who can offer them something more. I wanna speak specifically to men just for a second and, and, and I might be off the mark here and there might be more people outside of uh, men in this room that, that need to hear this. It just felt as I was writing that this had to be something I included. I think that maybe... There are some men in this room who've learned and been tamed by church. And it's almost like you've been told that in order to buy into this church deal, in order to buy into this faith deal, you kind of have to weaken yourself. It's like you kind of have to tame yourself and soften yourself because that's what church is about and that's what church looks like and that's what Jesus was like. And I kind of want to tell you a little bit that actually when we do that, we represent a church that I don't think Jesus necessarily intended. We don't represent a temple that Jesus wanted. That actually there is a fire burning inside of you, potentially for some of you maybe, there is a fire burning within you that God never intended to extinguish, but intended to utilize. There are injustices in your community. There are injustices over the world. There are injustices maybe here in this church that actually God did not want you to negotiate with, but actually wanted you to stand up and use the strength that he gave you. I might be off the ball there, but I just kind of feel like that's what we, uh, I wanted to share with some of you here today. Actually, church might not look like what you think it should. Let me ask you, when it comes to your neighbors, do they want what your faith offers? Do they want what your faith offers? After Jesus died and he rose again and he appeared to a whole bunch of people who wrote accounts about it, um, he sent off and put his church into motion with uh, some of his followers. And as they went off, it didn't take long for them to start asking the question, who is church really for? Is it for people like us? Is it for people who have always had it? Or is it for other people as well? And how do we negotiate that and, and work with that? And you can find a story about that in a book called Acts, which is in the New Testament, which is all about the launch of the early church. And as they got together, these disciples of Jesus, along with some other religious people and people who had sort of started to join them on this quest, on this adventure, they joined together and they had this debate. Who is church for? And at the very end, James, the brother of Jesus... The man who we don't really fear much at all about in the Gospels. We don't know it's because he didn't believe, but he certainly wasn't part of it in the same way. He stood up, maybe because he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was his Lord. James stood up and he said this, and he said something that should flow through the very veins of the church. He says this, it is my judgment. 
It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, for the outsiders, for the broken, for the refugees, for the people who need relief, for the people who need refuge, for the people who need care, for the people who need refreshment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. If you're here for the first time today, if you're here and you're not somebody who would call yourself a a Jesus follower, we're so glad that you're here and whatever journey you're on, we'd love to walk it with you at a pace that's manageable for you. And you can just ignore this next little bit, but if you call yourself a Jesus follower, I wanna leave you with this question. I wanna leave you with this question based on that command. What am I going to do? What am I going to do to make it easier for people to come and experience Jesus? What am I going to do to make it easier for people to come and experience Jesus? Whether it's a language thing, whether it's actually getting to know some more people, whether it's something here that you look at and think that's just an unnecessary barrier, but that's gonna be something that I need to take on. Whether it's something that you know you've been coming to or or within your life you've been investing in that you know is is just something that really isn't gonna be that extraordinary in comparison to what God wants to lead you into an adventure, a prayer, a story. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna commit to to make it easy for people to come and experience Jesus? Can I invite you to stand? We're gonna finish this series of the prayer and we're gonna sing again, sing again to a God who wants to transform lives. Father God, I wanna thank you for this week. I wanna thank you for what you've done even within our church. Lord, we're excited and we wanna see more of that. We wanna have more stories of people who have been changed. And Lord, we don't wanna forget with this as you wanna build this community, as you wanna build your church, that actually first and foremost, you want us to be what we looked at in week one, springs of living water. Lord, will you remind us, just as you did in week two, that actually the church, it's not that the church is full of hypocrites, it's full of broken people, full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more and this should be a place where we can come with our brokenness, come with our authenticity. Would you remind us what you reminded us about in week three? That actually the church is somewhere where we can come and contribute rather than consume. That life with you should be the most transformational adventure ever. It should never be something that that looks to be boring and if it is it's certainly not you and father remind us today that we need to be a community that constantly looks outside our own walls that should never just represent one type one thing that should never just look like people who look like us who think like us lord you want us to be a growing, moving, risk-taking, dangerous, praying, fully hospitable, fully humble, extraordinarily generous church, free from fear, free from shame, that Lord knows how to embrace pain, knowing that there can be blessings on the other side. And so Father, as we stand now, we ask you to come. We ask your spirit to fill us and as we become these living temples, temples that represent, that represent a place where people can come and experience relief. We might know your voice.
That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.